Greetings, and welcome to Hope and Heart and Home on the Range. This is L.J. Ranke, and I'd like to invite you to enjoy with me this simple fact of life. North Dakota and these wide northern plains east of the Rockies and west of the Great Lakes really is and really are a good place to call home, a place with plenty of heart, a place where hope sometimes takes you by surprise. Some of what we talk about here will be fun. Some of it will be serious. The serious part today is about racism and why one currently popular attempt to oppose racism, the NFL Take a Knee protest, may have some unintended but harmful consequences for the very people it seeks to serve, especially children. But first, I want to start by telling you a story about North Dakota's patron saints. Ireland has St. Patrick, Italy has St. Francis, but North Dakota has patron saints too. Before I introduce them, let me introduce myself. My name is L.J. Ranke. I've always gone by my middle name, J. The L is for Lester. I'm named after my dad, who went by Les. I never really liked my first name, but it is my name, and it was a gift from someone who loved me and from someone I loved. My first name, I suppose, is a little bit like living in North Dakota. It's not always easy to love. Sometimes people tease you because of it, but in its own way, it is a gift. It's not possible to talk about North Dakota, really, without remembering our two patron saints who helped shape this part of the world to make it what it is today. You know who I'm talking about, the husband and wife team, Oli and Lena. I never had the privilege of knowing Oli and Lena, but their lives are legendary. One story from their later years has always touched me deeply. Oli had not been feeling well for some time. Lena noticed he just didn't have his old energy, and for quite a while she'd said nothing. But finally one day she turned to Oli. Oli, something is wrong. You need to see the doctor. Like most men, Oli did not want to go, but he also knew that Lena was right. This being somewhat rural North Dakota, even though he called the doctor's office late morning, he was able to schedule an appointment that afternoon. When Dr. Olson entered the exam room, he looked at Oli with great care. Eyes, ears, nose. He knocked on Oli's knees. He put a stethoscope on Oli's back and had Oli breathe deeply several times and had him cough. Oli realized that the doctor was being unusually thorough. Finally, Dr. Olson sat down. He breathed a long, slow sigh, then looked at Oli straight in the eye. He spoke slowly. Oli, he said, I've got some bad news. What is it, doctor? Oli, Dr. Olson said slowly, you're going to die. Oli looked at Dr. Olson carefully. Doctor, he said, how much time do I have? Three days, maybe four. Oli sat silent for a few moments, then stood up, put out his hand and said, thank you, doctor. Thank you for being so honest with me. A little while later, Lena heard the bang of the back screen door. She looked up from the scarf she'd been knitting for one of her godsons. She saw Oli shuffling slowly through the kitchen. Something was wrong. She stood up and came toward him. Oli, she said, what's wrong? What did Dr. Olson say? Oli paused. Lena, he said, I have some bad news, some very bad news. The doctor says I'm going to die. Oli, Oli, how long do you have? Three days, maybe four. Oli, 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 she said. Then she got her wits about her. Rest, Oli, you need to save your strength. Go upstairs and lay down. You need to rest. Oli did exactly that. Maybe because of the shock, he fell asleep almost instantly, and he slept, good and hard. Several hours later, Oli woke up. He felt rested. He breathed in deeply, and then his eyes lit up. That smell Lena had been baking, and what a wonderful smell. Oli came downstairs. When he walked into the kitchen, there it was. Lefsa. Lefsa on every kitchen counter. Lefsa on the Formica kitchen table. Layers of Lefsa. Oh, Lena. She knew what he loved. She knew. What a wife. With much joy, Oli reached down. Just as he was about to pick up some Lefsa, Lena leaned over and smack, slapped his hand. No, Oli, no, she said. That's for the funeral. 
Oli and Lena, their lives and their example to later generations are part of a heritage that make the place we know as North Dakota such a special place. Patron saints, really. But they're just one part of our life and history that make North Dakota such a wonderful place to call home. Actually, there's a long list of reasons that make North Dakota so special. Think about the geography. Think of the Missouri River. Did you ever stop to think about the fact that the Missouri River, which drains a huge part of the North American continent, begins in Montana and then arches north as it moves to the east, and there at the top of the arc, right near Williston, it begins its southward sweep onto the east? It's almost as if when it got to Williston, the Missouri River said, Canada's a nice place and Canadians are nice people, and hockey is a nice sport, but I'm really tired of the cold. And so instead of pushing itself far into the northern climes to meet the Red River, then push on to the Hudson Bay, the Missouri says, I'm tired of the cold, I'm going to where it's warm. So heading out of Williston, it treks southward past the capital cities of North Dakota and South Dakota, past Sioux City on one side, then Omaha on the other, until it turns at Kansas City to head east to St. Louis, where it meets the Mississippi and travels on to the warm, balmy waters of the Gulf of Mexico. But the northernmost reach of the Missouri? It's where we live, North Dakota, part of what makes this place so special. And if you're from North Dakota, let me tell you something else that's pretty special, specifically about Williston, Amtrak. Unlike almost every major city in the United States served by Amtrak, Williston has this claim to fame. It's one of the few places in the United States where you can get on the train going either direction, not in the middle of the night. Going west, 11 a.m. boarding time. Going east, 7 p.m. Those are real-life boarding times, people. You don't have to set your alarm for 2 a.m. to catch a 3 a.m. middle-of-the-night train, which is how you have to do it if you live anyplace else in the United States. And have you ever called Julie, Amtrak's automated attendant? Do yourself a favor. For your pure listening enjoyment, call 1-800-USA-RAIL and talk to Julie. She's amazing. Another reason why North Dakota and perhaps Williston more than any place else is so great? Sit in Demai. That's Norwegian for 17th of May, Norwegian Constitution Day. Where else in the United States is Sit in Demai even on the calendar? It is here. You can have Cinco de Mayo, people. Everybody's got that. In North Dakota, we have a Norwegian reason to bring out the beer. And speaking of Norwegians, there's another reason North Dakota is so great. Ludafisk. Living in North Dakota means bragging rights with everyone anywhere in the United States. We live in the land of Ludafisk. In fact, Williston has the largest annual Ludafisk meal in the United States, right here at First Lutheran Church. People in North Dakota actually eat Ludafisk, and that's something to brag about. Full disclosure, I can't eat it. I've tried multiple times. True story, when our kids were growing up, if they didn't like a certain food, we would not let them say, I don't like it. They had to say, I'm learning to like it. But we drew the line at Ludafisk. It is the only food about which we ever gave our children permission to say, I don't like it. To me, Ludafisk is like fish jello. I cannot get my throat to swallow it. But the fact that there are people in North Dakota who do eat it is one of the wonderful things about living here. Think about it. If you're completing a social status resume, it doesn't mean a whole lot if you say, I eat Ludafisk. That's just kind of weird, actually. But if you can say, I know and I am friends with people who eat Ludafisk, that means something. It means you're broad-minded. It means you're tolerant and accepting. So those of us who can't eat Ludafisk thank those of you who do. You Ludafisk eaters elevate the status of all other North Dakotans. So thank you. And on that thankful note, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back shortly. You know, there's something about cows mooing that says home, something about roosters crowing that says hope, and something about chickens clucking that says heart. Those sounds just make me smile. At the time I was born, our family lived on a farm in Clover, Idaho. 
before I was one, my dad took a different job and we moved off the farm. But we still lived with an acreage in the countryside. About the time I began junior high, my dad decided he was going to take us back to our roots, so he bought a cow. Eventually, he bought a second cow, and that meant I had the chore of milking cows every morning and every night. Now that I look back at it, those cows were a stroke of genius on my dad's part. But I hated that first cow, at least at the beginning. Because we were a church-going family, I knew the biblical names for some pretty bad people. I gave that cow the worst name I could think of. Delilah. Believe it or not, despite my initial hate for Delilah, I sang songs to her while I was milking. I serenaded Delilah and then Daisy May with campfire songs from church camp. I sang songs from Simon and Garfunkel's Bookends album, one of the best albums in the history of music, by the way. And I sang to those cows from my two favorite musicals, The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. I suppose some would think singing Julie Andrews songs to cows makes me kind of weird. My kids would probably agree. I love them and they love me, but weird is a word they've used more than once to describe me. That's how they regard my T-M-I-T-I. They think it's weird, but I'm here to tell you that it isn't weird at all. T-M-I-T-I is a serious condition. It impacts a lot of people. For others' sake, as well as for mine, it's time to break the silence. T-M-I-T-I triggers serious physical symptoms. A sense of panic, shortness of breath, a racing heartbeat, raised blood pressure, cold sweats, and the impact extends to family members as well. Someday, doctors will study the long-term health effects of TMITI, but for now, I need to let you know there is hope. Treatment is available. TMITI is short for This Movie is Too Intense. My TMITI attacks happen, as you might expect, when I'm watching movies. Not every time I watch a movie, but often. It's painful, but I want, I need to share my pain. True story. We were at home watching Pete's Dragon on either Netflix or Amazon Prime, I don't remember. This wasn't the old Disney half-cartoon musical Pete's Dragon, but the remake Pete's Dragon from 2016 with Robert Redford. I don't really like Robert Redford. He was great with Paul Newman in The Sting and in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, but he had a romance with Barbara Streisand in The Way We Were? Are you kidding me? And let's just all pretend we never saw The Great Gatsby, shall we? But I digress. In the new Pete's Dragon, Redford is a retired guy living in a logging town in the Northwest who has a certain notoriety. He claims that when he was a little boy, he saw a dragon living in the forest outside of town. Because of that, even though people like him, they think he's a little off balance. But let's be honest, could anyone who falls for Barbra Streisand really be balanced? We also discover in this movie a young orphaned boy named Pete who, for reasons too complicated to explain here, grew up in the forest without any human contact. And this little boy lives in the forest with, you guessed it, the dragon who is very much alive. At some point, the people in this town discover the little boy and try to bring him into the world of humans. They also then discover the dragon. There's a love story, not with Robert Redford, he's too old, and Barbara Streisand is nowhere to be found. But there's also a group of really bad rednecks who, once they find out about this dragon, decide they need to hunt it down and kill it. As the movie progressed, it hit me. Wait a minute, this story could end very, very badly. I don't care about Robert Redford, but I'm becoming emotionally attached to this dragon, and he could get killed. And wouldn't it be just like some Hollywood director to think, oh, let's teach children a lesson about love and loss and let the dragon die. And wham, it hit me. T-M-I-T-I. This movie is too intense. My heart is racing. My palms are sweating. Pete's dragon could be dead by the end of this movie. So I started my T-M-I-T-I treatment. I grabbed the remote. I hit pause. And yes, my then 16-year-old daughter screamed, No, Dad, no! Mothers and fathers let the children scream. Push through their pain. Hope lies on the other side. I then grabbed my smartphone. I googled the name of the movie, Pete's Dragon, but added two words that save my sanity. Movie spoiler. I found themoviespoiler.com. I'm sure there are other treatment websites available, but that's my go-to guy. I read the movie spoiler. I had to find out, does Pete's Dragon die at the end of this movie? 
Without giving you any spoilers, I can tell you that after I treated my TMITI, I was able to sit back down, relax, and watch the rest of Pete's Dragon in peace. Now there's a second option for treating TMITI. True story, no joke. One Friday night, my wife decided we should watch a movie called Allied, a Brad Pitt movie set in North Africa in World War II. Now, I don't like Brad Pitt. I never did like A River Runs Through It, and I never got what Brad saw in Jennifer Aniston, though I do have a soft spot for Angelina Jolie. But again, I digress. So we're watching Allied, and I find myself starting to like Brad Pitt. Then, boom, it hits me. This is a war movie. These bad people are the Nazis. Either Brad Pitt or the beautiful French lady who's helping him fight the Nazis and who I'm sure he's going to fall in love with could die. Wham! T-M-I-T-I. This movie is too intense. Full throttle panic. So I administer my T-M-I-T-I treatment. I find the remote. I hit pause. I grab my phone. I Google Allied movie spoiler. Now, I won't give you any spoilers, but when I found out how Allied was going to end, I had two options. Either I sit back down on the couch, stick my fingers in my ears, and go la-la-la-la-la for the rest of the movie, or I leave the room. For the sake of my wife, who does not suffer from TMITI, and who did not want to know how the story ended, I left the room. My wife finished watching Allied all by herself. Some of you hate people like me who get treatment for TMITI by reading movie spoilers. I can live with the hate. For the sake of my own emotional health, sometimes I need to know how the story ends before the story ends. That's how I sometimes find hope in our home on the North Dakota Range. And talking about all of this kind of takes me back to Julie Andrews. It makes me want to sing. Oh, give me a home where Norwegians still roam with Ludafisk and Amtrak twice a day. Lewis said, Clark, let's go where it's 20 below. But mosquitoes then drove them away. Home, this is our home. Oil wells our horizons adorn, where people like me whose grasp on sanity is fragile but also the norm. <coughs> dear, dear Delilah, may she rest in peace. We'll be back after the break. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. And now we're to the serious part of the program. I'm going to open up a difficult door, a painful door, not only because the issue racism is so hurtful, so dangerous, and so divisive, but also because I'm going to challenge someone popularly regarded as a spokesperson on this issue, Colin Kaepernick. That's not easy. So let's start with what we can all agree on. I think we can all agree that the history which many American blacks know Ancestors who were kidnapped, chained, transported across an ocean, and sold as property is a legacy and a loss that non-blacks like me and most of the people who hear my voice cannot fathom. I think we can all agree that America's history with slavery denies the ideals of freedom, the rule of law, and the respect for the individual upon which America was founded. I think we can all agree that the dehumanization of blacks continued long after slavery ended, not only by individuals, but also in institutions and in government, who often used authority to do harm. I think we can also agree that while much has improved, much needs to change. Today I'd like to share why, with all that I can agree on with Colin Kaepernick, I disagree strongly with the actions he's taken to address racism by taking a knee during the national anthem at NFL games. That action gained him a great deal of publicity long after he left the football field. It's made him a folk hero to many. However, the tactic of protesting by kneeling during the national anthem is seriously flawed. I would even say it's harmful to the very vulnerable population black and minority children he seeks to help. Before I explain why I disagree with Kaepernick, I want to make an important point. Disagreeing with someone of a different skin color is not racist. 
Disagreement has to do with ideas, not the persons who espouse them. Being white and disagreeing with Colin doesn't make you a racist. Being black and disagreeing with Colin doesn't make you soft on racism. It means you hold to a different idea. You can challenge Colin Kaepernick and not be racist. Today, I want to talk about two errors in Colin's actions. In the weeks to come, we'll look at other reasons his actions are so harmful. First, I want to highlight the false free speech error, and then what I call the take and make error. That one's a little harder to summarize, but I'll try. Colin claims that he had the right as a player in the NFL to kneel during the national anthem before the game because as an American, he and every other NFL player have the right to exercise free speech and to engage in freedom of expression. He is partially correct. An NFL player can sit or kneel while the flag comes by at a 4th of July parade or when the national anthem is sung at a high school basketball game. But when an NFL player enters the stadium where he's about to play football, he voluntarily gives up some of his rights. Why? Because he's an employee, and when he's on the clock, his employer has the right to limit his speech and his behavior. Americans have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom of the press. But if you're cashiering at McDonald's or working at an oil rig or greeting customers at Home of Economy or Menards, your employer can tell you that you may not exercise freedom of speech by talking on your cell phone, or exercise freedom of the press by distributing political tracts to customers, or exercise freedom of religion by holding prayer meetings at work. Employers can limit your exercise of your rights when you're on the clock. NFL players know the same truth. Every NFL player knows he's not free to sit in the stands among the fans during a game. He knows he's not free to walk to the stadium concession stand and buy a beer during the game. He knows he's not free to stand at the opponent's side of the field and yell obscenities at the opposing team or stand on the opponent's side of the field and cheer for the opposing team. He knows that he is not free to say certain words in televised post-game interviews. Every NFL player knows he does not have absolute freedom of speech or freedom of expression in the football stadium or on game day. Therefore, while an NFL player can cuss someone out at a party after the game, he knows that if he cusses out a referee during a game, he can get thrown off the field. Colin and those who support him muddy the waters of civil discourse by forgetting that there are boundaries, legitimate boundaries, to speech and actions for employees. As a now former NFL player whom children admire, Colin's actions risk teaching children three falsehoods. First, he risks teaching them that free speech means you can say or do whatever you want whenever you want. That's simply not true. Second, he risks teaching them that anyone who limits players' speech or behavior in the stadium doesn't believe in free speech. Third, he risks teaching them that limiting an NFL player's behavior or speech is evidence of racism. That is not true. This false free speech error is serious, but Collins' protest involves a second error, one that I call the take-and-make error, or more precisely, the I'm-taking-what's-yours-and-making-it-mine error. If I seem a little straining to make a point, please listen long enough to hear what Collins' attorney said before Super Bowl 2019. He proved my point. Collins' protest tries to take what belongs to someone else to make it serve his agenda. For this take-and-make error to make any sense, we need to remember a simple truth about how actions find their meaning. Some speech and some actions have only private meaning, defined only by the individuals involved. But some actions have cultural or a group-defined meaning. They are defined by an entire group, not by any one person. And when people do them, they assert the group meaning. Now about actions that have private meaning... Say you have a granddaughter and every time you meet her, you give her a little twirl and say, Hello, princess, how's my bugaboo? She knows, and you know, that your private, just-between-the-two-of-you routine and speech mean that the two of you share a special relationship and love. But privately defined speech and actions don't go on the road. If you greet your neighbor's wife or your child's teacher that way, you might get a fist in your face or a visit from the police. Group-defined actions, however, do go on the road. Some are done by individuals and some by a group, but their meaning is understood by all. Shaking someone's hand when you meet them, for example, is a one-on-one -on -one transaction that means, because our cultural group defines and teaches it as such, that you recognize a connection between you and the person whose hand you are shaking. 
Shaking someone's hand doesn't mean you agree with the person's politics or morals or religion. It simply means that both of you recognize a connection between you. Neither of you define the meaning of that action. Your culture did. However, some group-defined actions are done as a group. If you go to a high school band concert, when it's over, the whole audience claps. If someone in the audience refused to clap and encouraged others not to clap in order to protest the selection of music or to protest the school's detention policies or because he thinks the football coach should be fired, you would say, you're missing the point. Clapping at a band concert means we're thanking the band for their music. Don't make our clapping mean something it doesn't mean. Colin Kaepernick's protest is a take-and-make action. He takes what is a corporate action defined by a group standing to show respect for one's country and makes it about his agenda, equating showing respect for one's country with ignoring or endorsing racism. He takes a corporately defined action and imposes on it his new meaning, which no one in the group intends to communicate by their actions. Standing to show respect for one's country does not mean one endorses racism any more than it means one agrees with current American foreign policy decisions or IRS policies. Standing for the national anthem is not a dismissal of evils in society. Standing for the national anthem simply means that one respects one's country and regards citizenship as a good thing. That is why Gladys Knight, a black woman, could stand to sing the national anthem so beautifully at the 2019 Super Bowl. Standing for the national anthem is not pro-racist. It isn't anti-black. Kneeling isn't anti-racist or pro-black. To suggest otherwise is to impose one's own meaning on a group action, and that's why, like Gladys Knight, many blacks who hate racism stand for the national anthem. Or let's take hockey or the courtroom. If you go to a hockey game in Canada, you stand where the Canadian national anthem is played. Standing doesn't mean you're a Canadian or that you prefer Canada's parliamentary system to ours or that you think Justin Trudeau is a great prime minister. Standing simply means that you respect Canada as a nation despite its flaws and your differences with it and that you respect Canadians. It's that simple. Or think of a courtroom. When a judge enters a courtroom, you stand. Standing doesn't mean you will agree with the judge's or the jury's pending verdict. It means that you know that you are part of something which, despite its flaws, is bigger than you are. And the fact that you are required to stand not only shows that there are limits on speech and expression, but also that at certain times and places, your standing and sitting have meaning that others get to decide. So let's be clear. No one individual gets to define or redefine a group-defined action. Second, let's be honest. Kneeling during the national anthem gains attention, but it does nothing to oppose racism. Do you believe police practices are racist? Go to a city commission meeting and speak up. Write letters to the editor. Talk to the police chief or the police commissioner. Form a protest line in front of the police station. But to interpret a show of patriotism as an acceptance of racism is to impose one's own interpretation on others' actions. And Collins' attorney made it clear that this take-and-make error, this I'll-take-what's-yours-and-make-it-mine agenda, is real. In his Good Morning America interview before the 2019 Super Bowl, Collins' attorney said that musicians at the Super Bowl should either boycott the Super Bowl entirely or show their support for Collins by taking a knee during their performance or by wearing a number 7 jersey, Kaepernick's jersey number, or an I'm with Cap jersey. According to Kaepernick's attorney, it wasn't enough for musicians at the Super Bowl just to celebrate the music or the fans or football. If they performed, they needed to acknowledge and serve Collins' agenda. And what would it mean if those performers didn't show such support? Collins' attorney had an answer. They would be, in his words, crossing an ideological or intellectual picket line. Worse, they would be, again in his own words, embracing a plantation mentality. What? Musicians who didn't show support for Collins' agenda at the Super Bowl are guilty of a plantation mentality? Somehow suggesting that blacks should be regarded as less than full citizens? So according to Collins' attorney, musicians either serve Collins' agenda or they're guilty of disrespecting blacks. This is clearly an, I'm taking what's yours, and in this instance, your opportunity to perform at the Super Bowl, and making it mine claim. 
If you don't use your musical platform to support my agenda according to my expectations, you are advancing racism. Your stage is about my agenda. So if you disagree with or don't openly support Colin's agenda, you risk being labeled anti-black. That's not fair, but worse, it's not true. Offering such false ultimatums doesn't build any of us up, and it pours acid on what unites us, and it doesn't advance the status of blacks in any way. Next week, I'll share why the take-and-knee protest engages in what I call the Westboro Playbook Error. Later, we'll look at some historical abuses of blacks that don't fit Colin's narrative. We'll also examine some of the claims of the Black Lives Ladder movement, which have directly shaped how Colin interprets the issue of racism. Finally, we'll look at the I have no hope, so bombs away error. Racism is wrong. We must fight it and recognize our own impulse to fall into it. But we must fight it in a way that is accurate and in a way that serves and builds up all Americans, black and white, together. A way that serves and protects children, that helps instill hope in their hearts, and helps them see that their home, this country, is a gift. next week's Hope and Heart and Home on the Range, I'm going to tell you a story about the time Lena got stuck on a train in a blizzard and about how what happened on that train touched lives in Williston for years to come. I'm also going to tell you an amazing fact about the magnetic North Pole and how it just may have something to do with the Russians and with President Trump. Thank you for listening. I look forward to visiting again next week for more Hope and Heart and Home on the Range. God bless. God bless.